little gold lady. Ooh. Are those wings? I want everybody to have a piece of this chocolate bar award between two mics. I'm a fleet One more time, one more time. Welcome. Welcome, 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 welcome all to We Bought a Mic, a pop culture podcast where every week we talk prime time TV awards with a little helping of fun banter and a slight little tinge, a little hint Mm -hmm. of -hmm. careful critical analysis. It's mostly it's the banter. Yeah, not too much. People don't use us as a resource. Yeah, we don't want to lose everybody. I'm Ernest. I am Hunter. I'm Drew. And this is the podcast. This one's going it's brand so new. <laughs> We're all lubed up. We're going to take this one for the top again. And brand no, let's new. Just keep it going. Just table. Do, you, do we want to tell people about our new table? Um, yeah. I it's mean, the yeah, same table. Tell them what they, what they got for us with all that Patreon money that yeah, they gave us. Yeah. Imagine if you will, the same table as before, but with no cloth. So you can hear the, I don't know if you can hear this mm. audience, the ASMR of the wood, uh, but you might hear a coat of paint in there if you have a sharp. I'm ear. going rogue. I'm going rogue, Mike. Oh no! That's wow. A horrible noise. Wow, um, that's a sexy new table right the, there. Uh, girlfriend of the pod <laughs> painted us All a table, and it, yeah, it's a beautiful logo. And it says, I'll post a picture on the Twitter at We Bought a Mic. It says, We Bought a Mic. It's in our signature color scheme. I don't understand how she managed to get the colors so close. It looks, yeah, it looks It's like dead on. And you know what this means, listeners? You're going to start having live video of us. We're going to go Facebook Live on this one so that everyone can admire at this table. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, top down view, Joe Rogan style. MySpace Live. I really still think if. Shane Gillis had not filmed his dumb fucking <laughs> podcast, I don't think that there would be nearly as much blowback. But there's something in seeing the person say it that is a huge deal. That's why we'll never tape ourselves saying slurs. Only on audio. Maybe if the camera is like right up in our faces so that the whole shot is just our face. Yeah, that's terrific. Yeah. That's the move. Mm-hmm. That's that's how you do it. Mm-hmm. So then the we have a like a like a three sixty camera in the center of the table. Mm-hmm. And then it just zooms in. Because how else would we film this? Because we're all sitting in a circle. Fish you eye. can't frame the Let's fish eye camera so that somebody isn't facing away from. We it. could have like a like have like one of those little revolving tables. Like put set up a little one. Oh, right like here, that seventy show. It'll just yeah. constantly go around, and it'll never be on whoever's talking. Yeah, that's what people want to see. We'll be passing around a doobie. Except instead of that, it's a mic. Speaking of passing around a doobie. Let's talk about the primetime Emmys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Dude>. <laughs> you know, everyone was blazed yeah, at the dude, Emmys last it. night. Believe that. Were they? I don't know. Did I miss something? <laughs> yeah, you didn't watch it live. I know. So I you, completely yeah. missed it. I, did I miss the best I'm sure somebody. I'm sure somebody was. It's California. Well, here's the thing. I will tell you, you didn't miss the greatest broadcast of all time. Um, I... I do think that the Emmys actually got some things. I think that the Emmys does more things right as far as that award show goes than the Oscars because they give out double the amount of awards without going over and with like a quarter of the montages of how great this is. We still got some montages. We still got uh, some uh, Brian Cranston going up on stage talking about the power of television. Mm-hmm. That was actually pretty good because you know, yeah. it's Brian Cranston. Yeah. If you get Brian Cranston to talk about like – cheese whiz and hot dogs it's gonna be amazing it was, a, it was a weird opening to the night but it was it was solid i am very happy with the awards this year for the most part let's let's get into it let's talk about fleabag fleabag, fleabag won Popped four off. emmys mm. last and, night and they were big ones yeah uh best actress directing and writing in, in a comedy and uh best comedy yeah so those are huge yeah i mean I really, I'm sure most people did too. I really thought that Veep was gonna get like half of those. Like mm-hmm. it was a shoe in to get at least Best Actress for 
Julie Louis Dreyfus, yeah. who would have set the record she needs for 40th. most wins. <laughs> and it's the it was the final season of Veep. So I was like, okay, yeah, like it's got to go to Veep. And then Fleabag comes in. And the voters, they just watched Fleabag and they were like, oh, yeah, that... Gotta, yeah. gotta pick the best show. <laughs> this filled me with so much joy watching this. I mean, I whenever, because of course they do the acting nominations or the acting awards first, and the fact that Phoebe Waller-Bridge beat JLD like was the biggest upset of the night by a mile. Well, that or maybe directing with Jason Bateman. <laughs> yeah. but Jason Bateman. But still, like, holy I... Holy fuck. Hold on, though. It was, no, it was funny, though, because when Phoebe Waller-Bridge went up there, she very obviously did not prepare a speech because she didn't think that she was going to win. Like, it was... It had some charm to it, but she was out there. It was like, I want to thank uh, my agent. Um, <laughs> and then when she won for for best series, she was like, okay, this is getting a little excessive. I think uh, potentially one reason that it, like, in addition to the fact that it deserved it, of course, that's usually not enough with for getting yeah, that's big what awards. was surprising about it. So I think part of it may have been the fact that uh, she has said time and time again, and she reiterated after the Emmys that she is not moving forward with the third season of Fleabag despite the fact that it's become such a phenomenon. I think that played into it because yeah. it was essentially the last season of Fleabag and it had never gotten anything before. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's just it's just a magnetic show. Oh, yeah. Like but who cares it, about how good it is? It's the Emmys we're talking about. I mean, <laughs> somehow last night shows were getting awards that are actually great. Chernobyl won like three or four Emmys. Yeah, Chernobyl had a great night, which I, I had a feeling that Chernobyl was going to win a bunch of stuff because it's... It has that both timely and timelessness to it where, especially in the climate, it's good to know about the faults of, or the, how important the truth is in everything. But I mean, that's also been true for all of history that something like that has happened. And because it's such a potent topic that it's on, so powerful, the episodes, and aside from the fact that it's just brilliantly made, um... I mean, there really wasn't a lot of things to take objection to, aside from the whole middle hour, which was just John Oliver repeatedly going up. I think that we need to put those on, like, the side Emmys that they don't show. If they don't give out awards for, like, reality TV, why do we need to watch all the variety shows and everything else? RuPaul won. That was a good moment. Uh, But RuPaul's won the last three years i was so. i was gonna ask you how you're coping because nailed it lost i'm as you know <laughs> that's wait it that, was my number one show of last year and this year that Fuck reminds Fleabag. me in the big like power of television montage at the beginning it was like game of thrones uh marvelous mrs mazel the Bachelor in Paradise. Yeah, bitch. <laughs> well, no, but that's the whole thing is like Bachelor the Bachelorette this season was the highest watched thing on TV. Oh wow. It was like and more than Big Bang Theory? Well, no, it's summertime. They, oh, yeah, for God. the summer they for the season. The summer. But like you would think like why wouldn't they more people are watching award shows than they are like tuning into last week tonight. So if you're trying to it's this weird thing with the Emmys, it's the same thing with the Oscars where they're trying to be like I, I don't know exactly what the best way to put it is. They want to like be like the the barometer for like this is what's good, but they also want to kind of yeah. reflect society as a whole and well, what people there, watch a lot of. There are a couple things going on. There. The first is that like just a few years ago, they like reorganized these categories to separate uh, talk shows from variety sketch shows, and there's still one where they're combined. Uh, but that just made it so there were more categories to go over, and they decided to do all of them in the Emmys broadcast. And then the other thing is that I think it's like a latent response to how big a deal The Daily Show was like when Jon Stewart was hosting right. it. Mm. Because at that point, that was arguably the most relevant show on television for maybe a decade. Uh, and so they... And now that's kind of splintered into... Yeah, and Colbert was yeah. on the same uh, wavelength. He was absolutely... Like, that was a huge deal, that show. And uh, so they you know, they were like, oh, we got to get these guys on national TV. People like them so much. And now... It's just... The, it's, John Oliver. Now there's last week tonight. And but. also, it doesn't even seem like really completely fair that John Oliver is in the same category. Because John Oliver does one episode a week for like nine months out of the year when you have people like a Kimmel or a Trevor Noah they're going up there five nights a week and always putting out fresh material and they always lose and they always lose and I feel like nobody really like 
gives them that. Like, of course, John Oliver has a week to perfect his stuff and actually just get the best jokes in his half hour. He looked he looked kind of embarrassed going up there at one point. I don't think that he's... I feel like like from he's now like on, really he's just <laughs> not even going to bother showing up. He's just like, yeah, just mail it to me. I don't know. Yeah, because that is the... You know, it's almost like the final end point of that type of show because it is just one show, like one or two topics, I guess, per episode. Typically, uh, the deepest dive possible ends with a big uh, bang, a big funny stunt that they pull. Uh, I mean, it's a really good show. Yeah, uh, I want to. I want to give out some other uh, shout outs. Yeah. Uh, Maisel won two Emmys. Mm-hmm. It won uh, acting uh, supporting categories. Shaloub and Alex Borstein. Love both of them. Love both of their Shalhoub performances. I did. I really wanted uh, Stephen Root to win this. I didn't oh, think that he was going to, but there's three nominations. Yeah, from Winkler Barry. and um, um, uh, Anthony Kerrigan. Yeah, no, they, no Hank. Yeah, Bill Hader won Best Actor though for the second year in a row. Mm-hmm. So that that's kind of like the show winning. They're really you know? like they like you're totally right, Hunter. Like they're the hit rate with these is so much higher than any other award show. Like, what other award show are we this uh, satisfied with? Even semi-satisfied with? I mean, I haven't even gotten to some of the b- yeah. the other ones, like SNL. S- SNL won? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, but uh, it was the Sandler episode that won, which was a great episode of SNL. Jodie Comer won I... for Killing Eve. What's Man, funny? She was so serving looks. <laughs> Phoebe Waller-Bridge seemed more excited in the crowd for the for Jodie Comer winning than she did for herself winning. Um, which that I, was I a love huge that. surprise. Do we are we into her winning over Sandra Oh? No, I I wish Sandra Oh would get Sandra it, o- but I I love Jodie Comer's performance. Sandra Oh is a really uh, unique actress. Like mm. I saw, I was listening to something else where they were talking about the way she talks is not comparable. Like she, the way words come out of her mouth is so bizarre. Um, I want her to get something. Did she ever get anything for Grace? No, but she was probably nominated like. A I would dozen have, times. I would imagine, but uh, she's she in the cl- she in the Glenn Close zone for Emmys. Uh, <laughs> You're in the Close zone. I'm just uh, like I'm glad to see that show get some recognition. It's a great show. Uh, Don Roy King winning direction for SNL. That's you could give it to him every year because that is probably the hardest show to direct on mm-hmm. television, uh, just by nature of what it is. And that dude's directed it for like decades. Yeah, like this is the guy who's directed every episode for decades. They don't switch out directors. On it's SNL. just it's this Don dude. Roy King. He's like ninety. Also, I mean, we already mentioned um, Jason Bateman upsetting Game of Thrones, but also Jesse Armstrong oh, Succession. That's big. Winning for, over writing for Game of Thrones. Well, I okay, so I was going to be most upset if Game of Thrones won for this because the writing is the problem in the last season. So yeah. Also, we should but, mention like I think Game of Thrones well, shot itself in the foot by having multiple episodes in these categories. Yeah. That's why uh, both Bateman and Armstrong won because mm-hmm. there was only the one episode. So you, if you submit multiple episodes, it splits. The yeah, vote. people are going to be split between like whether you like this episode yeah. more. This, this episode. Yeah. Jason Bateman's reaction <laughs> is just legendary. And we people, got some all the great Bateman faces. Yeah. It was like a Renaissance painting. Because dude, he won against the most expensive production ever put on television. Yeah. And you know how he did it? The color blue. <laughs> yeah, that's why I said. <laughs> Who has ever thought of that before? <laughs> we were watching Genius. just like, I mean, I just looked at like a blue wall one time. I was like, yeah, this is this is my inspiration. Ozark. He saw he saw Ad Astra and he was like, yo, this is bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I um, I I mean, that's kind of that was one of the biggest stories aside from Fleabag after the night is that Game of Thrones. How many nominations was it like? 20. Oh, I don't even something? know. So like, it was a record so number. Yeah. And it only won two things it won dinklage won of course um and then dinklage is the only actor who ever won for game of thrones the yeah. only actor from that cast well i think dinklage is the best win? dinklage is arguably Four. the only Four? like great actor on the- i mean i love gwendolyn christie too it was great seeing her there amazing outfit by her um but it was the lock of all locks that was going to win drama, especially oh, yeah. because it was a very weak, uh, like what it was competing hey, against was Better Call Saul. Don't talk shit about Better Call Saul. Bodyguard. <laughs> Killing Eve, which season two of Killing Eve, I haven't seen it yet, but it's, I have great. Heard it's not, I've heard it's not as good. It's not as one. good, but it's still great. Um, Ozark, Pose, 
um, our boys Succession and This Is Us. Wouldn't it have been great not if a great category? Won. If Succession won, I would have lost my mind. I would have. HBO would be like fuck. I would have <laughs> swallowed my own load if that were the case. If it, um, no, I. Because it was like they all want they won for best drama, but like the cast kind of looked a little bit bummed out because you know they had to think like, oh, we're gonna clean up, we're gonna get so many fucking yeah, wins. Everybody's tonight. gonna win. Everybody's winning I mean, something. They also they didn't. actively did not like the show by the end of it. Right. Like there's been plenty of compilation videos of them just yeah. really throwing shade in the press. Everybody but, except for Kit Harrington, because Kit Harrington's like, this is the only thing little, I'm ever yeah, gonna he's have. A baby boy. <laughs> it's like did, I'm not good. Did, MI5 didn't work out. <laughs> did Clinch made a point to kind of correct that narrative a little bit with his acceptance speech he threw so much love at D&D yeah he was like very he just kept saying like how amazing they were and I was honestly shocked to see them in the audience I thought that they were in like an undisclosed location hiding you know the, the amount of hate that they ended up getting was wait it was insane like they got so much yeah. guidance just because they're not that good at writing <laughs> It's like, damn, you, you could hate on me for that. I mean, that. they also <laughs> did, by themselves, go past the book and write some incredible episodes of the show, too. I mean, like, Winds of Winter and The Door are amazing episodes that are not in the book. They didn't write those, though. Well, they, they George R. R. Martin, like, kind of helped them a little bit, but they were still, like... No, but they're not. They're, kind of they weren't thing. the writers of those episodes. They had other writers come in, and some of the best episodes of the post-book Thrones were not are not credited to Weiss and Benioff. They're credited to other people. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm like, I'm trying to give them a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt just because they had the hardest task right. ever. It's Think about, people are like almost always angry at show's endings with the exception of Breaking Bad. Everybody always hates season, yeah. like series finales. And I guess the Big Bang Theory because hey you know, Sheldon's girlfriend... Um, Epic. Glad Apparently they showed the, that they showed that dramatic moment of it in black and white of their table oh, read, and then them going yeah, into the crowd. Yeah. And it's just like, man, the show that changed television forever. <laughs> what? <Jesus>. That's the opposite <laughs> of what so it is. Funny. It's the show that kept the old TV going. It's until it's dying. Also, gasps. they they trotted out the cast of Game of Thrones and Veep to say goodbye. And they didn't trot out Big Bang. Well, I wonder they'll probably be at next year's because didn't it go on past the window? I don't know year, how the fucking. I swear works. to God, if that I mean, gets nominated for like best comedy next year, I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> it probably will. I mean, Young Sheldon is taking the throne. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Let's uh, let's hear it for our boy Craig Mazin, the writer oh. of every episode of Chernobyl. And we talked about this when when we talked about Chernobyl, how he wrote Scary Movie 3 and Scary Movie 4, (laughs) The Hangover Part 2, and now he's an Emmy Award winner for writing one of the best shows of the year, one of the most important shows of the year. Yeah, it's, I mean, that was, well, not so much Craig Mazin, but uh, the director, um... Yeah, director Johan, was so. What's his name? Um, he was so unprepared. He was like, "What well, the hell am I doing?" I up mean, here? that's another like pretty big upset. Everybody thought that Stiller was going to get it for Denimora. Yeah, Escape of Denimora, which that was huge surprise. I, I think really Johan Rennick, I think, is his name, the director. Um, uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, that was another big surprise. Just seeing him up there, like looking like a—he looked like an Eastern European dude. Yeah, like, he, had no- he had nothing to say. He was like, uh, um, <laughs> "What? Are, what are we thinking about Bandersnatch?" Bandersnatch. <sighs> it's a big tech win for Netflix, is what I what I said. And uh, you know, Bandersnatch. It is what it is. You know, it's an experiment, and an experiment that. For the most part, works. I know, know friend of the pod Harry was very upset that Deadwood the movie didn't win. Yeah, because apparently Deadwood the movie is actually really good. Also thought that that was going to win because that's um uh, the writer of that show. That's his like last piece as mm-hmm. he's losing his mind. Poor poor guy. I can't move on without mentioning my big category of the oh, night. Yeah. yeah, bring up your girl. This this was the only thing that I was truly excited for. And that was seeing Michelle Williams win for Fosse Verdon. Mm. Holy Only FX shit. Her, this performance might be one of the best performances in anything I've seen this whole year. She is absolutely magnetic as Gwen Verdon. And she just elevates that show to another fucking stratosphere. It's insane. Insane, insane what she does as this character. As this real person. The way she embodies her. 
Um, so I was really happy to see that. Great speech too. She was prepared. Yeah. She very I, poignant. She definitely had it prepared that she was going to win everything. Great whole thing, especially because uh, she had that whole thing about equal pay and everything exactly. else. Exactly. After uh, the whole thing with um, what is it called? All, All the money in the world, yeah, or whatever. With Marky where, Mark. Yeah, where Marky Mark got was, paid like seventeen times more than her. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, that was that was really uh, poignant. Her speech. Uh, Definitely I, one of the best. Of the watch Fosse Verdon. It's all on Hulu now. It's so good. It's I can't so wait. I feel good. like so many more people are going to check out Fleabag because of that. Yeah. Which makes me so happy. It's so easy to I watch, I think that too. Fleabag is like, I would almost say if you're going to watch one piece of art this year, then make it Fleabag because I think that Fleabag is just something really special. And the, the thing we were saying last night when we saw it is like, it's so... It was just so endearing mm. to see her up there. What's well, such a personal story to, well, to win for that? Is... Not just that, because you watch Fleabag and you don't immediately think that that's a show that's going to win Emmys. You know, it's it feels so weird, mm. but it's so unique and it's such a specific creative vision that it makes sense for people to connect with it. But it's not. It's not something that immediately jumps out right. at you as like, oh, this is an award. It's kind show. of it's kind of like the moonlight where like Right. It's it's kind of you're just like happy that it's there. You're like, that's not gonna fucking win. And then it does. And yeah. it's Well, yeah, because of the whole award so. show yeah. thing of them. You think not that they're gonna give it to the, the glamour bait. and the glitz the and the awards yeah. bait. I would say that outside of Game of Thrones, the two biggest moments of the year were for Fleabag and Chernobyl. Uh, in terms of like when they were like released, it, there was like there were weeks of shockwaves. Like yeah. it, the discussion was long lasting. Um, the the last of which I think you should leave. Where's it at? Oh shit! Imagine that an Emmy, a television <laughs> Academy member watching like putting a popping well, a that, DVD in. Didn't that come? That came out after the window. If that because I mean, Documentary Now got a few noms this yeah, year. Yeah, that's Documentary way, Now is more highbrow. But more if prestige. I think you should leave as nominated for Best Variety Sketch Show next year, I would lose my mind. I'll join the Academy. Would, yeah. <laughs> I'll finally join. I'll answer their emails they've been sending me. Have um, what is it, Gron- Gronk? What's the big mascot's name? Oh, I don't... Grombo? <laughs> Have Grumble? him host yeah. the Emmys. <laughs> yeah. Um, you would all summer figure out what you do. He, he just has to figure it out. He'll, he can host. Any any final thoughts on the Emmys? Um, good on them. They uh, did it. Not a great telecast, but good awards. Yes. Well said. Uh, the tele- I, what was up with the whole like narrating thing? That was weird. Thomas Lennon, he had some zingers in there. I'd love to to have like a transcript oh, of some of. We his gotta jokes. talk about Adam Devine's uh, dance sequence that he yeah. had in the middle there. That the was singer. That was know. yeah. Oh, <laughs> about how the whole thing was the whole award ceremony was just an ad for the mass singer. I don't know. That was odd. Uh, all right. Well, that's the Emmys. Let's move on to ketchup. <laughs> You guys, you guys saw a show without me. I missed out. Yeah, we did. <laughs> Let's hear saw it. Saw a uh, a little band that you might have, if you listened to our midpoint season <laughs> reviews, heard us talking about. A little band called Pup, uh, played here in town. Pup. I'm wearing the T-shirt now as we speak. Oh shit! Um, you got yeah. this at the show. Yeah, I got this at the show. Um, it's a nice creme, it's, if you can I, tell. Yeah, yeah. I like was really pushing him to get it because it has the hear shot. shot yeah. A little propeller hat the on propeller there. Hat, Hunter's um, signature. Hunter <laughs> always wears that in the studio. Yeah, you can't <laughs> see. You'll you'll be able to tell that in the audio comment or on the video. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, no, Saw Pup. Um, and uh, the opener was solid. Illuminati Hotties was the name of the uh, band. They were they were solid, solid little opener. Yeah, I um, would say that. They were enjoyable. But Pup was a great show. So much energy really, to that concert. Really wild. I man. was in the mosh pit the entire time. Same. I, I lost <laughs> a lot of fluid. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, uh, before the show started, I was quite drunk, and by the end of it, I was so sober from sweating <laughs> yeah. out all of the alcohol that was in my body. Yeah, I was, I was really faded, so... Uh, that's a good review point, right? Mm-hmm. To say that, yeah, dude, it was great. I was really fucked up. I highly recommend <laughs> it. <laughs> that's what people want to hear. Yeah, but uh, I mean, I'm sure people are like screaming all well, the words. Yeah, and, of course. Like yeah. that, I, I always said this whenever we talked about Pup. I was like, I need to see them live. Mm-hmm. Like, I know I'll like them more if I see them live. They are just a live band. They sounded great. Uh, like you said, everyone's singing every lyric. Uh, oh, yeah. I felt uh, ostracized in that way. Oh, because you didn't know. The yeah, words. and if you know you're you're a tall guy at a concert, people are kind of people can see you from all directions. 
A lot of a lot of crowd surfing. That's the other thing about being a fucking tall guy at a concert. You everyone just kind of looks at you like, oh, he'll handle it, you know. <laughs> and then you get <laughs> like, toppled over. Yeah, not even just lifting people. Like if someone's just coming through, like everyone else just kind of looks like, all right, well, there's this one. And big then dude. nobody helps you. <laughs> yeah, and then you're like cool, and you're just like, oh, yeah. Just so like listeners know, Drew people. is six foot ten. Yeah. Um, it's like it's like I'm a freaking. He's backup point guard on the Magic yeah. this year, and actually. I do insist on sitting front row of every every <laughs> concert, <laughs> blocking everybody. No, I mean it was. It, I feel like it's an underrated thing for punk bands to have like really good product like live production quality yeah because a lot of times i mean i've been to like so many like hundreds of concerts and especially seeing heavier bands you can kind of sacrifice it where you're just like we're just gonna go super lo-fi here and people won't really be able to tell because they'll be rocking so hard but it sounded amazing the audio quality there it was a great concert great show yeah definitely recommend it for uh people to check that out it was at the but Beachum, right? It was at the Beachum. Uh, it was a good, good little venue for him. Um, but uh, speaking of fucking rocking shows that music that's just fucking hardcore rock and roll, let's talk about Norman fucking Rockwell, the new Lana Del Rey album. So, um, what is your guys' relationship with Lana Del Rey? I mean, I remember her infamous debut on Saturday Night Live, where everyone was like, "What? What the fuck is going on?" I, you know, what is this? that was also my introduction to her. <laughs> she did video games, and the crowd was confused. I was kind of confused. <laughs> uh, not to say that it's like bad or anything. Yeah. It doesn't. It's just not something that is best suited for the live experience. And then fast forward, weird like, choice for her to play that song of all songs live. Fast forward like a year after that, and then it was like, I got that summertime, summertime sadness. <laughs> well, you're doing the remix of it. The original version is actually I know. great. But, I know. Uh, yeah. No, uh, yeah, no I, I like the remix. It's a yeah, solid pop song. Great. It's it's okay. It's not as good as the original. Um, it's no follow-up. So I, <laughs> I, uh, I will say I was really late to the Lana Del Rey hype train i knew summertime sadness but didn't really really like dive deep into i never went through like a lana emo phase i went through different other types of emo phases um but about six months ago just independent of knowing she had a new album come out i was like i'm just gonna like start listening to lana del rey and her first album born to die i got really into that there's some amazing songs on there off to the races um and then I saw she had a new album that was coming out, so I was like, cool, this is convenient. Um, Norman fucking Rockwell came out about a month ago or so at this point, by the time you're listening to it, like three, four weeks ago. Um, this album is a fucking masterpiece. I oh, love this whoa. album. I, I think that this is one of the best albums of the year. Um, I think it's just, it's, it's Lana Del Rey at her best. Uh, I mean, over the last few years she's kind of gone a little bit away from the pop kind of fake it's gonna sound condescending i don't mean this way but like a fake fake rap persona Mm -hmm. um but she's kind of gone away from that and uh gone to more the singer songwriter uh whole outlook on everything with her music and this album is amazing it has the perfect balance where it's slower songs that are not classic pop songs but they're still super fucking catchy like there are songs that have slower tempo and everything else but i'll still just get like a hook stuck in my head and listen to it i this have you guys had a chance to listen to this album i've i've dabbled a little bit it's a meaty album it's like over an, hour an hour long it's an, yeah it's like right at an hour um so i i mean it's mostly all produced by lana and jack antonoff so sound wise, like it just it has a really consistent quality to it, but I haven't really dug deep deep enough into it to really have too much of an opinion on it. Lana just always came off as like very like sleepy, sleepy to me. Just kind of well, I mean that's the and that rock. is that is kind of a criticism that I have with a lot of her music. That's why I wouldn't consider myself like a big uh, big Del Rey head or whatever their fans call themselves, um, a Del head. Um, <laughs> But I, it started with the first single, uh, Mariner's Apartment Complex, which is a fucking amazing song. Such a great pop ballad that it, this whole album is like music that just doesn't really get made anymore, which is, I think, one reason why I have an appreciation for it, where it's pop, but it's not classic radio. It's very much like early 2000s pop, 
where it's more kind of a little bit moody and it has more emotion to it. And I mean, there's some songs on here which are really like heartbreaking. The closer on this album, Hope is a Dangerous Thing for a Woman Like Me to Have But I Have It, is kind of a heartbreaking song to listen to. Uh, There's another song, uh, I think it's Happiness is a Butterfly, that's just like basically like, if you're a serial killer, then what's the use to a girl like me? It's, It's very... But it's not all like bummered down like that because it does have this kind of poppiness to it. It isn't all sad boy cut my wrist to this kind of shit. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's one song I will say probably my least favorite song in the album is she does a cover of "Doing Time" by Sublime, <laughs> um, which if I I don't really know why that made it onto the album because it does kind of come at a weird point in the album where I it comes right after. Um, uh, well, I guess it comes two songs after the song Venice Beach, or Venice Venice Bitch, excuse me. Um, the censored version is Venice Beach. Mm. Um, Venice Bitch, which is like this 10-minute long ballad, which just goes into this big instrumental solo, just really, uh, I mean, the production on this song alone is so deep, and you just get hit with layers and layers of this sound wave that you're hearing. Great Jan- Jack Antonoff all over this album. I know, Drew. You're not a, you're not a Jack Listen, Antonoff boy. Are you? I wasn't gonna bring it up. <laughs> I, 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 you keep looking over at me like, hmm, yeah, that's cool. What's yeah, your Jack take? Antonoff. I don't like him. Okay. I don't, I don't like what he does. I don't like anything that he does. I Why? Don't, uh, he took Lord and threw away everything that she was popular for and made a pop album with her that had no personality to me. Uh, I'm not a fan of melodrama in retrospect. At the time, oh. I, I like he makes music that I can look at from a distance and say, wow, that's good. And I feel nothing when I listen to anything he makes. It feels robotic to me. I don't know. Uh, like the T-Swift song he made, I thought was god-awful, and it's not of her own doing. It was the production. Which one? The You Need to Calm Down? I think, yeah, I, I don't even know what it's called. I just I just don't care for the guy, you know? Uh I don't dislike bleachers by any means, but it does feel very like again. It feels synthesized to me. It feels like, it feels like a guy conjuring up emotions that he knows people other than him feel. <laughs> I don't. I just don't quite get Did it. Did you ever like fun? Um, I like them better than most of the stuff he's done. So they, yeah. They had, so when he was a part of fun, you think that was like the best? I don't know. The best he ever was, kind of. I don't know if it's the best he ever was, but Fun did uh, experimental things that I could tell came from a place of artistic uh, value. Like it's it probably the, the other dude, too. Nate Ruiz. Yeah. Uh, that's what I would imagine. Because their, especially their album before, the one that really broke, had some like really bizarre songs yes. on it. Walking the Dog. Yeah, like I, I appreciated that album uh, a lot because it didn't sound like they were going for like the radio. Yeah, and which is what... He- when, Antonoff yeah, does so, on everything. Exactly. When yeah. I hear him, I just think, yeah, he's he's going for that algorithm. Like, <laughs> well, what what I appreciate about him is like he is able to make the song that any like that lowest common den- den- denominator sound, but to me, he infuses it with really interesting production choices mm-hmm. that make it more just a, a, a better listening experience. It's not to me. Yes, there is like a um, a very high floor of, or or I should say, a very low ceiling of quality because it 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 is very straightforward pop. Mm. But compared to like most just basic mainstream pop, it's still pretty damn good. He's he's really good at what he does. Yeah, like, he's good at that. But. To me, it always just sounds like he is like executing a plan to I, make this. Music. But you kind of have to with pop. Oh, yeah. oh, I know, but there's also pop to me that doesn't sound like that. You I, know? I I have to push back against this a little bit. I I'm a big fan, of Jack Antonoff. I actually like, you know, we're getting ready for our uh, like top albums of the decade and stuff like that. And this won't make my top albums of the decade, but it would definitely be in like my well, top I, 50 No, albums I haven't listened to this, and I'm hoping that it shifts my opinion about him. Well, no, I'm He's talking about every single yeah. No, no, no. Well, I was talking about the first Bleachers album, Strange oh. Desire. I love that album. I think that's a perfect pop album, like a near-perfect pop album, just because it executes everything that wants to do. I think that, if anything, he does have a little bit, because 
all of his production does have kind of these layers to it, which is why it elevates pop music for me. And that's why I think that it's kind of a match made in heaven for somebody like Lana Del Rey, who's a little bit more of an uh, like breathy, airy kind of a singer. Oh yeah, oh, that's she why it had a feeling similar to his. That's why definitely. I think that it's a match made in heaven that these two have come together. And I don't think that like so a producer who is very popular who I'm not a big fan of is Danger Mouse because I think that Danger Mouse all of the music that uh, he produces all has the same sound to it, mm. and I don't think that Jack Antonoff does that. It might have the same vibe, but I don't like. I, if you put on Black Keys, like, if you put on Brothers and then put on a newer Black Keys album, you're like, yeah, I can hear the the Danger Mouse is leaking into my ear holes right now while I'm listening to this. Yeah. Well, he, I'm pretty sure he produced Brothers. Danger I don't, Mouse. No, I think his first one was, uh, not Turn Blue, uh, El Camino. No, oh no, he did Brothers. Yeah. yeah. Did Brothers. Huge. Deal. Yeah, yeah, because uh, Danger well, Mouse. Well, that was before he developed his Danger Mouse-ness. Then. Danger Mouse produced Attack and Release. And then Brothers, and then El Camino, and I'm pretty sure he also did. He did Turn Blue. Turn Blue as yeah. well. Turn uh, Blue is when it's like you don't like Turn Blue is so. Um, what's that band? Uh, with uh, holding on for life. Um, oh, Broken Bells. Yeah, that's that sounds like a Broken Bells record. Mm, like it just sounds. That's yeah. it I, all. I, has I like the, Broken Bells. I like Broken Bells too, but you can tell that it's the same person making the music. Right. 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 All right. Well, I want to check out this Lana record. Definitely, I, another. I gave it a listen, but I I will try to dig into it before the year comes to a close. My music is really starting to pile up. I added like five or six albums to my 2019 playlist today because there is there's a lot that's I mean, been coming. Yeah, out. I mean, I well, I did want to shout out a couple specific songs. The first song in the album, uh, Norman Fucking Rockwell, is a great song. Um, Mariner's Apartment Complex, Venice Bitch. Uh, Fuck It, I Love You is a great song. Cinnamon Girl, uh, California. It's most of the song. There's only a couple of songs, which I wouldn't even say necessarily skippable, but like, if I'm like on a time crunch to get to a certain place, I might like listen to a little bit of it and skip ahead or something like that. But I definitely highly, highly recommend this album. Um, one album that I wouldn't recommend as much. Do you guys want to get into Blink? Um, yeah. I did want to say I really like that Lord album, Melodrama. Yeah, oh I yeah, know, no, Melodrama is a great album. I, I was, it. It was on my ear. Like going back and listening to a Pre-pod. first album, it's like that had to me such a personality. Like it had a person behind it, and it's to, Melodrama to me. It had a computer behind it. I don't know. I I don't have a, a strong enough opinion about Pure Heroin, um, but Royals is still a great song. That's like the one that blew her up. Yep. But let's yeah, let's get into Blink. Um, I just gave the album the one listen through. I haven't like really returned to it. And while I was listening to it, I was like, this is pretty good. It's pretty, pretty, pretty solid. Uh, Travis Barker does some of the best drumming he has <laughs> ever Travis done. Travis Barker, I will give that to this album is that Travis Barker is like, well, I have to carry this fucking band now. He, there's some songs where he is like on another fucking level just doing crazy ass fills like it's yeah he's going just making it look easy like he always Um, does mark is actually doing a lot better than i thought like Mm -hmm. the last couple albums he really was kind of dead weight not super dead weight because he still you know has been the primary singer of the band but um he kind of surprised me a little pleasantly with this album uh because his voice is still like intact like it still sounds good the lyrics are just as dumb as any other blink lyrics um, yeah. they're just not coming from a young person anymore, which is the big problem. Yeah, <laughs> there's some tracks where you're just like, yeah, yikes. Yeah, like, yeah, dude, grow the fuck up. <laughs> How do you guys feel about uh, Matt Skiba? I am very out. Uh, <laughs> I'm not a fan. But Sorry to I'm the Alkaline ca- Trio. I'm kind of whatever on it. Like, it doesn't piss me off. I'm just like, every time I hear him sing, it just takes me out of it a little yeah. bit. Well, but it's not like a deal breaker. It, yeah, because I would not say that it's his fault by any means. I think he has been miscast. I think it's like a case of bad casting. I, I mean, cast were you the Tom. one who said, <laughs> yeah, yeah you're you yeah. the one who said that he's doing like a Tom impression it, on well, some of the songs. It's not even him, but it's then the it, production. They put effects on his voice to make him not 
not sound like himself. If you've heard Alkaline Trio, that's not what he sounds like. Yeah, he's, he's a um, different singer than that. I really, I, <laughs> what's funny is it's probably my favorite song on the album, but it's also like I kind of hate that they did this. Is the first song in the album, the first time, which is just straight up the beginning of feeling this, is how the song starts. It's literally the beginning of the song feeling this, which is my favorite Blink song. And at first I was like, oh yeah, I like this. And I was like, wait, no. Fuck this. What are they doing? <laughs> like, write some new shit. There's, like, towards the back half of the album, it just, like... I don't know. I just... I almost wish that, like... We, we will kind of talk about how we don't really like when, like, necessarily, like, a band might change their sound or not as into it. Like, Fall Out Boy or something like that. But part of me does just, like, want them to do something different. Like, stop trying to recreate the glory days mm. like just do something different to get my attention I'm instead not sure. of trying to do like karaoke of your old stuff I'm, I'm mostly just not sure what they're capable of doing because they're they've always been carried by great production and this album is no different it has really really good uh, sound layering and production and chorus building um so to me it's like to like to become what like panic or fob have done would just be to 100% give up the reins. It would be to mm -hmm. say, okay, we've are we've always had producers handle a good amount of this process. Let's just give them everything. Let's just let them do it all. Um, because I love, you know, their catalog. I I've, I've been a massive fan my entire life, but I don't know what they sound like alone. I don't know what yeah. like just Matt would put out if he were alone. You know? Yeah, I mean, and I don't know if I want to hear that. I, no way. I think, yeah, um, like, would it be good? Plus forty four. Um, I uh, I think I think this album is like capital F fine, and then like that's it. It's very middling. Um, I would. I mean, I like it. I like a, a decently executed nostalgia act more than I like anything <laughs> Panic has done. Like whenever I Got hear, to have high high yeah. hopes for a living. Because well, because when I hear like the new Blink, I'm like, oh, they're still doing it, and it's not horrible. Yeah, it's it kind of impressive. When I hear like the Blink. Panic, I I get actually sad, like viscerally. I think they quit. They quit, and now they are billionaires. I more so now think of it like from a perspective of if you went to a concert, like. Went to go see Fall Out Boy, and there's like a mix of both people who grew up listening to old Fall Out Boy and people who have been brought on by the newer, poppier oh, stuff. Yeah. Where, like, I feel like if you go to a Blink show, it's just gonna be sad. It's gonna be a <laughs> bunch of like 30, 40 year old dudes who are like, play the old shit. Oh, I would like be, that's, I feel like you, I, I would be sad at a panic show now because of what you said. I would be sad to see a bunch of like moms and like grandparents and then like, like former punks with like big, uh, former gauge holes in their ears you know well i I, like, I honestly wouldn't necessarily want blink to play the old shit because they don't have tom DeLong. yeah that would be oh man matt just like singing like everything will yeah. fall i i do pieces. like i want to say it's not his fault he's a really good guitarist and he was the frontman of alkaline trio who were going at it for years and years they were kind of in the vein of like a rise against style uh punk band uh Famously, they were Satanist, and that was, back in the day, that was truly controversial. Now it's like, yeah, we all are. Like, <laughs> it basically just means you're an atheist. Like, uh, quick question: Because um, I know you're a big Blink fan, favorite album by Blink? That is a good question, and I actually f like consciously flip flop on that by like the year. And Let's take off your pants and jacket. Come I've, on, I Enema of the State though is great. I also love Dude Ranch. I think that Dude Ranch is a very underrated album. You know, I I won't die on this hill, but I love their 2011 album Neighborhoods. Oh, Neighborhoods? Yeah, that's we, were, a solid, we were both pretty into that. That's a solid <laughs> album. It's got some great oh. stuff. I mean, in I it. will say this album is a mile better than California. Yeah, <laughs> I that honestly, album is, I forgot they put out an album three years yeah, ago. Yeah, that album is it's truly horrendous. I never it listened to it. Yeah, don't don't. It's just like I'm not like even that much higher on it than you are, Hunter, because it is. It has a tinge of sadness to it, but there's almost no way to escape that because at no point were they ever musical auteurists. You're talking about nine? Uh, the new yeah, one? yeah, 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 yeah. The new blanket. Like, there's, there's no way out of them sounding sad, like, no matter what route they went, because I'm pretty sure if they went full on uh, indie release mode, I don't, I, that would be sad, like, yeah. that would be because it would be worse. Yeah. So. I'm I'm well. I was pleasantly surprised that this wasn't bad, is what I'll say. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's, it's good. Yeah, it's I'm fine. not going to return to it, but I was happy that they're like I'm happier with what they're doing than what Panic is doing. I might return to a couple songs. We'll see which ones kind of. 
don't fall through the cracks. But I just looked up their set list because they're like kind of touring right now. They played a, a set on Friday, and there's a really good mix. Uh, they played 12 songs from Enema of the State at their show <laughs> Makes on sense, Friday. Yeah. Is that the whole album? It's got to be like much part yeah. of the album, and then a mix of like a bunch of other stuff. One one album that I'm not gonna uh, give a full review on because I haven't done like, any research or write up or anything. But I gotta say, JPEG Mafia's new album, "All My Heroes Are Cornballs." I started to listen to this. I haven't finished is, it, but I really enjoy. What I I've mean, heard it, so far, it's one of the best albums of the year. If if you like the Injury Reserve album that came out earlier this year, this is better than that, and it's in a similar vein. It's noisier. It's more similar to Death Grips. It's like what I said to you guys. It is truly Death Grips mixed with Because the Internet by Childish Gambino. So the, the like, moments when insane. the moments when it is being Gambino, I love. And the moments when it is being more Death Grips, I don't think work as well. That's so weird. But I have, I have gone back and listened to some older JPEG stuff. And it's not like he, this is out of nowhere. Like he's been no, he's pretty much yeah. been yeah. like this type of like he's glitchy experimental uh, type of of hip hop. Um, so I guess it's just not my thing. But yeah. there are songs that really impress me, and they're like the more kind of slower <laughs> guitar. <laughs> I'm surprised stuff. to hear that since you had Year of the Snitch in like your top five last yeah, year of but, albums. I mean, that's a whole nother beast. Yeah. You know, that's an album that's like influenced by like fucking heavy metal and industrial Mm. rock and like all these insane fucking instrumental moves. Uh, And this, you know, it it is in a similar vein because it does kind of throw a lot of of sound in your face and it makes you like real a little bit. Um, But when it's coming from Death Grips, it's just it's uh, here's what I'll say. It's like, you know how some people only eat us foods if they're prepared a very specific way like some people are like oh i'll only eat tomatoes if they're like very if they're chopped finely yeah, and yeah roasted yeah. it's like sure. that. that's how you feel about death grips <laughs> or that kind of sound that okay. kind of like overwhelming overpowering wall of sound that's i mean i feel like you've said this before. not a big swans fan um, i actually like the the swans <laughs> record that that album's a fucking journey to be kind that's like the yeah. only one. Um, I I love this. I like this more than most Death Grips. Not all though. Like the highs of Death Grips are higher than Peggy's highs. Definitely, I'll say that. But uh, to me, like to have like softer moments and softer songs allows for more texture to come through in the production. Yeah, like, it allows for you to really like soak in this crazy sound he's creating without just being hit by all of it at once. Um, because sometimes that's sometimes the the genius of death grips production can be sound muddled and that is like by design they want it to they want it to be a fucking wall hitting you but i like hearing every individual little knob being turned sometimes and it's an ebb and flow too because you get like the really overwhelming insane moments and then you kind of come down a little bit yeah i i really enjoy it i like uh the musicality of it i like that it's it's in that same arena, but it you wouldn't call it like heavily influenced by Death Grips because Peggy's been doing it for about the same amount of time, and it's always sounding. Are you just, just on like, like a nickname basis with JPEG Mafia, just yeah, Peggy, dude. Yeah, he's here today. <laughs> is, he pe- is he pegging you? Yeah, pe- yeah, oh, peg okay. me. Oh, I've been saying peg me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you guys to. Peg. Um, I'm I'm just a big fan of the guy. I, he's very funny. Uh, his lyrics, they have. Yeah, there's some crazy yeah they they have a good juxtaposition of like he's like insanely angry but he's like i know this is all dumb like i know this is music um and i i enjoy that he has a self-awareness that you usually don't find in such an like an angry energetic act um i'm i'm a big fan of it yeah i i need to get back i definitely enjoyed what i've heard so far Need to dive more into the album. That's it's a, called. I should have listened to that instead of the blink One Eight Two album today all my yeah, heroes definitely. are cornballs yeah I was trying to look up one of the lyrics that really stuck out to me, but I, I can't find it right now. I'll, I'll try to find it later. But let's talk about Between Two Ferns. The, the movie. movie. Colon, the movie. Yeah. So it's on Netflix now as of Friday. Um, the the feature film debut of Scott Aukerman, mm. Comedy Bang Our Bang. Our boy Scotty. Um you know, obviously made a name for himself with the podcast and with the IFC show. 
and the Between Two Ferns uh, Ferns show web series, I mm-hmm. guess, on uh, Funny or Die. Yeah. So this kind of like opens up that universe a little bit. It's not in like the CBB universe, but it's a lot of the same talent. Yeah. Oh, there's comedians. so many. I mean, there's so many like cameos from people that people wouldn't even know that they were cameos. Like right. 90% of the audience, they're like, oh my God, that's Paul Rust. Oh, that was one of my favorite ones. I love Paul Rust. Paul yeah. F. Tompkins just popping up in there. I'm like, yeah, there we go. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> That's uh, why we call this show Don't Give Up. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, um, so the movie itself is kind of whatever. Yeah, um, it's it's it's, fine. it's a very thin narrative plot, but the actual the the, the writing cameos. with the cameos with the actors that they it's get on the, the show. Cameos. It, like where it is just between two ferns is like some of the best stuff that they've ever done. Um, specifically, I love Paul Rudd was a great one on there. Um, I, the, like I said, the narrative itself, like is kind of silly. I mean, I do love seeing Lauren Lapkus in anything. Mm -hmm. Um, quick little sidebar. I attempted to watch Holmes and Watson this weekend. That ended horribly. Is she in it? Yeah, she's in it. Yeah. Yeah. She plays like a kind of offensive version of a mentally retarded girl. (laughs) An offensive version of (laughs) Lauren Lapkus of Jurassic World fame. Yeah, of course. Why did you watch Holmes and Watson? Oh, do you just want to get into that? No, I don't want to hear anything <laughs> about the movie. I want to hear why, and then you can stop. So, <laughs> I like watching bad movies. I really enjoy yeah. watching bad movies. This is a movie that breaks the parabola, by the way. Well, I will say, because it's, yeah. it's, it's supposed to be a farce, but none of it's funny. So, then it's just like the lowest level of stupid and the reason I, I could never try to watch it is because it would only make me sad because it's feral and John i C. know Riley. that's the so whole you, thing is that it should be good yeah, but it's not adam mckay yeah exactly but that's why it breaks the parabola because your brain just looks at them and thinks oh this is this is gonna be funny you even during the movie when it's not funny part of your brain is having this hope you know there's like it's probably one of the lowest hit rates for a joke in comedy because there is like one or two like funny jokes, but also there's like a hundred jokes per minute, and so it's just like it beats you down so yeah. hard. Well, it, it just, is. It speaks. To it's a miserable time. It's not good. Do not, do not recommend. Um, I honestly, I didn't even. We didn't finish the last twenty minutes. The what I was watching it on kind of cut out a little bit, and I was like, yeah, it's fine. Oh, you're like, oh, oh we no, it. you turn it off. <laughs> yeah. You didn't oh, buy shit. the Blu-ray. I no, I'm not gonna support <laughs> the that movie. Ray cut off when he turned it off. Um, Fun fact: you can't even rent the movie; you well, have to buy it. So, <laughs> like, to, to bring that story though back to Between Two Ferns, because before before the pod, I was telling you guys about like Scott Ackerman's whole history in the film industry, and it's I think it is like worth talking about because it, it's a case study uh, in why the film industry is bad and mm. like objective and how some people just make a living. Yeah, in some Hollywood. people just make a living, and you never learn their name. Scott, you learn his name because he has hustled his fucking ass off, and he ended up starting a you know, multi-million dollar podcast network. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why today's sponsor is Wolf Cool. You, you, oh, <laughs> oh, baby. baby. Um, but like Scott was coming up in, if you don't know, he is the host of Comedy Bang Bang, the show and the podcast. But he, he came up in the 90s alt comedy scene of LA, which is when alt comedy was starting for the most part. So it was like Janine Garofalo, David Cross, uh, Bob Odenkirk, all these people doing live shows in the same venues. And he got his he got his uh, chops there, and that led into Mr. Well, Show. So for years and years, he was putting on these really elaborate stage plays and live shows. Like he was basically an impresario, uh, and it was all. Ba- he ended up saying it was all just to get Mr. Show because he knew that Bob Odenkirk was hiring these people, and uh, he got like the last season or two of Mr. Show. Him and Paul F. Tompkins both got it. Mm. Um, and from there, like, they were a huge deal. Mr. Show was a big fucking deal. It was like people were thinking, like, in certain circles, oh, this is the new Monty Python where, like, these guys will be able to make movies forever. But like, nobody saw it. Well, so then the show ends and they get a Mr. Show movie and it was a train wreck. It's Run, Ronnie, Run, which mm. was uh, infamously, like, they got kicked out of the editing bay. It was one of those <laughs> stories where, like, they lost control over yes. it. And even... The stuff that they did have control over, they didn't like, you know, Yikes. and that was just it. And so Scott th- went from being pretty rich and like thinking he was set for life to these this gig economy where you get, 
like if you're lucky, like he was immensely lucky to have the opportunity. He got Shark Tank to to Shark Tail. Shark, Shark Tail. Tail. He, <laughs> he was not on Shark Tank. Basically, he he got the chance because he wrote a movie to every year for probably a decade. He was uh, commissioned to write movies that he just that he knew realistically would never ever get made, and none of them did. And but he got th- paid. Think about Holmes and Watson, mm. like. Imagine seeing just one of those movies he wrote when he was still like bushy tailed in like his twenties, thirties. He's so full of ideas. Like the the infrastructure, the way that Hollywood works is so goddamn inefficient, and it drives me nuts. He spent a decade writing like two movies a year, or like two pilots in a movie, uh, and we didn't. We'll never see any of that. Like that's absolutely crazy to me. Uh, and that's hundreds of hours yeah, of work. Exactly, and there are you know thousands of stories just like him and then there are thousands of people who would kill just to be in that spot that he was in where he no one knew his name uh so that's all to say that i'm immensely happy for him well also <laughs> to that point like ackerman very easily could have taken if he would have been like sacrificed a little bit on what he found to be personally funny because that's the whole thing with everything that he actually does is he's only gonna do stuff that actually makes him laugh yeah because like that was kind of one of the reasons why the show Comedy Bang Bang did work, because he kind of has, like, a host look about him. He has, like, this kind of lanky, tall, white yeah. man persona where, like, he could just be a that guy that shows up in, like, C-list comedies or something <laughs> like that and delivers two lines of dialogue. Mm-hmm. But he never really sacrificed uh, for, I mean, aside from doing those whole writing gigs, which, mm-hmm. like you said, I mean, he knew that he was never going to get paid yeah. for those and, things. And like you said, Ernest, he also did what a lot of comedy people in Hollywood do, which is punch-up rooms, mm-hmm. where a movie will already be written, and then the you know the director will fund a basically a think tank where like a group of comedians get together in like Universal Live yeah. or whatever, and they like Skype in with the director or whatever and just like pitch jokes that are funnier than the script. Right. And then none of them get even used. <laughs> like, Shark Tale. It is the amount of labor that is put into horrible comedy in Hollywood is mind boggling. Yeah. Like, so so now we get to Between Two Ferns, which obviously is like a semi famous web series of Zach Galifianakis, like it, like saying, launched Funny or Die. It like made Funny or Die a big thing. It, yeah, I mean, it was a big. He got it, Obama. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And Hillary. Yeah. So it's it's kind of a genius concept of like Galifianakis is going to say the dumbest shit, and all you have to do is keep a straight face. That's all you have to do. And the outtakes of this movie, which are kind of my favorite part <laughs> yeah. of the whole thing, just show how hard that is to do. How hard it is to keep a straight face while he's saying this stupid shit to you. And it just, it's a pretty simple thing, you know? No set. It's just two chairs and two ferns. Yeah, that and was, do you know how the, he came up with how the idea? Is he literally just thought it, he, like, Zach Galifianakis wrote in a notebook one day, like, a long time ago. <laughs> he wrote down a cable access show called Between Two Ferns where it's just like two chairs in between two ferns. Yeah. <laughs> Which is because they all have that. Exactly. It's so plausible. Like shit, yeah. we need a set. Uh yeah. There's so just like grab a fucking plant. Yeah. So he just thought calling it that was funny. He had no idea for a show or anything. Yeah. And, and they came up with that. And, and, it, it and then the up. movie it has a very straightforward narrative of big president business Will Farrell coming in being like, I need 13 shows by next week and he has to go on a road trip around america filming celebrities on new episodes of between two ferns and boom there you go there's a movie and it has very formulaic beats that you see in which most movies it tries to play with them in ways in some ways it is funny it does work like we talked about the paul f Tompkins bit that i thought that was actually kind of funny and other times it's just like all right, come on, let's just yeah, keep this like, going. We know Luckily, I mean, because it is out. ten episodes of Between Two Firms, and this movie is less than ninety that minutes is crazy. long. That's so many episodes. It's it's so like you are only in the actual narrative arc of the movie for like three minutes at a time yeah. before you get to another little Between Two Firms. And there segment. are moments where I felt like I would have rather have seen Some the full s- yeah. segments and not oh. go back to the story. Yeah. Because it's like, there's a moment where it's like a montage of a bunch of different uh, uh, Between Two Firms segments. And I was like, well, I kind of want to see the whole thing play yeah. out. Like, you just 
keep cutting to the next one and i don't know the story itself is like whatever and then some of the segments are kind of whatever because they don't let them have enough time because they're cramming a bunch of them in so overall you get like just a kind of fine movie but it is filled with so many cameos that yeah. that's really the fun of it. Now, I mean, and there are some great jokes. I mean, I guess minor spoilers for a movie about comedy segments. I can't really spoil it because it's all about in the movie itself. But I love the only time when the Between Two Firms and the narrative arcs uh, collide is whenever they do an interview with Peter Dinklage. Mm. And they're like running out of money on this trip. So they're like, we have to rob Peter Dinklage <laughs> have to steal some shit from Peter that Dinklage's is one of the house, yeah. and they like, like just the see like of the movie. a chest of Fabergé eggs <laughs> and just like start grabbing the eggs. And there's there's some great bits like that that yeah. are in also this the movie. John Legend bit. Yeah, the John. Le- oh my god, the John Legend Chrissy Teigen bit yeah. is fucking incredible. I'd say it is worth watching. This is a perfect Netflix movie. Yeah, where exactly. I like if it was in theaters, I'd say it's not really worth it, but. It's on Netflix. Yeah. It's a great like thing to put on the background, and then you'll like tune in for certain people, and you'll exactly. be like, oh, this is great. I love exactly. this. So that's Between Two Ferns, and this is Between Two Mics that we bought. Well, three mics, really, if you count your yeah, own. If we count all of the mics <laughs> that we should be counting, then it is three. It's but Between Two Walls. Yeah, well, four, four, all of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look at like the fucking math whiz over here. <laughs> yeah. Shit. It's between two friends because I'm only friends with her. So. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. Thanks for listening. Uh, please follow us on social media and tell your friends about the show. We uh, were only as famous as you want us to be. <laughs> so keep spreading the word. Damn. And let us know. What uh, what you want to hear about with all these new TVs and, and movies and such coming out. A uh, lot to get into in the coming months. So stick around. Listen to our review of Ad Astra if you haven't already. Uh, anything anything else to add? Mm-mm. All right. Well, at We Bought a Mic on Twitter. And check out all our links in the description below. Letterbox, Twitter, all that shit. So, yeah, we love you. Thanks I wanna, for listening. I want to issue an apology to Jack Antonoff. Uh, maybe it's just not for me, man. Just come on the show, yeah, Jack. He's one of our four listeners, and you just pissed him off. He was going to produce our podcast from now on. Yeah. It's going to sound so spacey. Yeah, it's going to be like... <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Give me a second. I, I need to get my story straight. My friends are in the bathroom getting higher than the Empire State. My lover, she is waiting for me. Just across the bar, my seat's been taken.